I'm your host, Kaylee, and this is Rebel Wellness. What up, what up? Welcome back to another episode of Rebel Wellness. I am your host, Kaylee, a longtime fitness professional, wellness coach, and multi-certified nutritionist that's here on the West Coast. So in today's episode, we are talking all about the booty, and it is probably the main muscle group majority of my fitness clients have come to me over the last almost 10 years uh, asking for help with. I'm talking everybody from age 16 all the way up to in their early 60s, everybody just likes some nice buns. So in this episode, I'm going to cover a tad about the history anatomy and physiology, as well as my top questions to ask yourself as you begin your booty growing journey, we'll call it, and top exercises I have clients do that will always give results. So make sure to stay tuned through the entire episode because there is some good stuff. And I will preface this episode that I am not explaining these concepts in a format for other trainers or fitness professionals in general. This is for Judy who wants a booty, okay? So I am going to leave out as much of the kind of program specifics that a lot of trainers might want to hear about because we are not getting as nitty gritty as very specific programming goes. However, I am going to give you my best tips on how to program things better for yourself from the lens of a fitness professional. Okay, let's dive right into it. So first I kind of want to chat a little bit about when the history of glute focus became more widespread and popular. So I kind of see it from a little different perspective and I'm going to be speaking more about when did we start seeing the general population start to really care about their glutes. Because if we're honest, a lot of the last like several decades in the latter 1900s, so we're talking like 1950s all the way to 1990s, which being a baby from the 90s, it just sounds weird saying that, but here we are. So really, and in the 1990s, like flat butts were in. It was Kate Moss. It was like starving yourself model vibes is what people wanted to look like. And there's still a lot of people who kind of follow that. They're kind of afraid to have bigger glutes and that's okay. But what we're talking about is the opposite of that, how to get bigger glutes. When did we start seeing that become more of a focus? It really kind of was inspired when women started bodybuilding in the late seventies. So that was when a little bit of a focus shift for physique for women started to happen. It was still kind of a taboo situation. A lot of women, even to this day, still think, oh, bodybuilders are so bulky. Like, I don't want to look like that, blah, blah, blah. But it was an entrance into women realizing just how much genetic potential our bodies actually had. It wasn't just about the male physique anymore. Now, when did I see women kind of shifting or females in general starting to shift into this very strong physique for like the day-to-day chick. And I'm talking like girls in college starting to lift heavy and build bodies that were not necessarily for going on stage and competing. It started to occur kind of in those mid-2010s. 
Some people could argue that maybe a little earlier, like maybe around that 2006, 2007, perhaps. But honestly, I think a good amount of us can say that we were really seeing gen pop get into bodybuilding. And bodybuilding isn't just like super ripped looking. Anything where you're building your body, like adding lean muscle to your body is considered bodybuilding. So if you are my client listening to this and you are lifting and putting on muscle, we're bodybuilding. And there's nothing wrong with that. We have kind of associated that bodybuilders are just these big old bulky people. And yeah, to some extent, yes, they are. And there's nothing wrong with that. And to the other extent, you are too. And you can do it, but just not necessarily at the same capacity they are. So with the rise of YouTube in the early 2010s, I remember growing up in California. That was the first time I was exposed to people really trying to specifically grow these really big round glutes. And sure, people might have been doing that before, but with this kind of creation of a platform where people from around the world could watch other people live their lives and do their things, I absolutely found a unique point in our kind of timeline of strength training around that 2010 to 2014 area where it became cool to add serious muscle to your body. And at the same time, often females were using that to compete in a show or they would compete in multiple shows, etc. So that became really popular and carried popularity. I mean, really until now, I'm starting to see a little bit of a shift where people are kind of moving away from bodybuilding competition as their main reason for adding muscle. We can talk about that another time. I have feelings about it, but in a positive way, I suppose. But that also correlated with the rise to fame of like the Kardashians. And it's worth noting that her physique and her family's physique with the artificially and or natural, whatever team you're on, enhanced exaggerated curves were an aesthetic that became desirable because once that family became the center of all celebrity obsession, Other people started following those aesthetics as well. And because not everybody wanted to go the route of surgery to achieve giant glutes, a lot of people started turning to their natural body's ability to build larger glute muscles. And on top of that, besides the kind of social way that we started focusing more on glutes, there's one exercise physiologist in general who is known for everything glute, and that is Dr. Brett Contreras. A lot of his studies and literature were also paired with other professionals such as Glenn Cordoza and Kelly Davis and several other very important people that were kind of cornerstones for this glute-specific science. However, most people know that Brett Contreras is the guy who's known as the glute guy, and he spent pretty much almost his entire career the last several years on just understanding the mechanics of glutes, how to grow them, how to make them as shapely as you want, perhaps. And um, also focusing into how do you grow glutes without necessarily growing the size of your legs? Because some people don't really want to get as much mass in their quads or hamstrings while they're trying to just grow bigger glutes. So that is the guy who kind of found... Everything to do with glutes, including the ever so popular 
barbell hip thrust, which he did not necessarily create that movement, but he kind of made it really popular and better understood as well as multiple machines that you can use to perfect that movement pattern. So there's probably a ton of stuff that goes into the history of glute growth and achieving a specific glute focused physique that I did not cover, but that's just because we could probably talk about that for a long time. And I felt like these are the main things that are kind of important to cover at the moment. Okay, so this is you. You want to improve your glutes at whatever capacity. So what are some important factors to explore for yourself if this is the case? One of the first things I want to ask that I always ask my clients is what do the genetics in your family kind of look like? Sometimes I don't ask them. Sometimes I can see uh, based off of knowing their ethnic background and the look of their body. That's just because I've experienced over multiple thousands of bodies in my career already. And there's usually a lot of correlations. That doesn't always mean they're going to be exactly what I assume. However, there are some things that just kind of correlate with certain ethnic backgrounds, like I said. So it becomes really helpful for you to adjust your expectations for your body based off of what is your genetic background. So do all the women in your family have super flat butts? Do they have like wider hips and flatter butts, longer butts, we would call them? Do they have a lot of butt? They deposit a lot of fat there and not very wide hips or wide hips and a lot of body fat in their glute area. Have you always kind of had a cute little perky butt since you were a baby? All of those things contribute to your genetic potential. And genetic potential is basically just what can your genes get to, essentially. Some people push their genetic potential with performance-enhancing drugs, but for yourself, especially if you have a longevity-focused goal, you're going to want to set your expectations in the beginning about where can your genetics go. So I've had to tell multiple clients in the past that genetically their background might not have the best for growing really significant glute muscle. That doesn't mean they can't. It just means they're going to have to work harder. And you also have to kind of get in the headspace that where you're assuming you might be able to get your glutes to go, if they don't go all the way there and you're trying everything in the book, you just might have to be okay with that. And if you have ethnic backgrounds where your body fat patterning is different. So a lot of people can fat pattern where they're putting a lot of body fat around their hips, glutes, thighs, and not very much on their upper body. You're going to get more of that exaggerated look of the, what they call a Coke bottle look where you're getting that kind of smaller waist, big glutes. If you put more body fat on your glutes and you put muscle on your butt's going to grow bigger immediately. If you're somebody who doesn't body fat pattern any fat around your legs and your glutes, it's going to look a lot different for you and it's going to be harder for you to put on muscle because there is a tendency for the body to respond better to putting on muscle where there is a lot more body fat patterning. That's not always the case, but it's often the case. All right, second question to ask yourself is what is your lifestyle like? That includes how well do you eat? What's your relationship with food? And this kind of goes back to similar to that cycle syncing episode, I believe episode four, where we're talking about fitness and movement paired with your cycle and such. You have to be eating enough to put on muscle. 
more nutrients equals enough fuel to build more muscle. You cannot build a house without the bricks to build it with. Bricks are the food, okay? So I have <laughs> the one of the funniest times in the history of my fitness career was I remember back in my early career, I was working at LA Fitness and I had a colleague at the time who was also a young newer trainer. And she was like, Kaylee, like, how do you get your glutes to grow? You have such a nice butt, this or that, blah, blah, blah. And I told her, you have to eat enough. And it sounds so confusing, especially for all of us who have been kind of trained to constantly like watch what we're eating, eat in a deficit. We're working out a lot. We should probably just keep eating clean, la, la, la. And sometimes some people have the freak genetics where they can still build muscle that way. Majority of people cannot. And you're also going to be like depleting yourself of nutrients because what ends up happening if you're not replenishing enough protein, that's why my clients hear me say protein, 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 is that you are going to tear down your muscle while you're lifting. And then as it's trying to repair, it's not going to have anything to repair with. And then it becomes muscle wasting. You get rid of it. So you really don't want to do that. That's where overtraining also kind of comes into play is if you're constantly doing that, but you're not eating enough, that might be why you're not getting the progress you're looking for. So if your lifestyle is not dialed in with food, you might also have a slower response to this resistance training to grow your glute muscles, or you might have no response at all. And then you might get frustrated. So working on your nutrition and making sure that you're eating enough, which that looks like 1,750 calories or more. I mean, for a good amount of adult females, more than that is probably accurate. Like for example, I eat roughly 2,200 calories a day, sometimes a little bit less, it depends. But, and I am not a large human. <laughs> I'm your average 5'5 in the middle to lower 140s. And I'm currently just floating in my homeostasis. I probably could, I need to probably eat like 2,500 calories a day to achieve muscle growth. But that's not my goal right now. But if it is your goal, that is something for you to explore. And I highly recommend the best thing you could do is just log a, a week of your average eating, like not trying to change it while you start logging it. Eat how you have been eating for that whole week. Log it, see how many calories you're landing at. See where your protein is landing, your fats, your carbs, etc. And then you can assess like, oh, am I eating enough or how much do I need to add? Or I'm eating enough, but not enough protein. And the rule of thumb for figuring out how much protein you might need is actually 0.8 to 1 gram of protein per kilogram of lean body mass. So that's not your weight. That's not one gram per pound, which you hear a lot of people saying. That's you figuring out through like an in-body scan, DEXA scan, however you want to, calipers, et cetera, figuring out what your current lean muscle tissue is and then timesing that, whatever that is in kilograms, by 0.8 to 1 to 1.2, if you're going more aggressive, grams of protein. And that should give you, for most females, roughly, uh, let's say probably 95 all the way up to 160 grams of protein. That's usually where you'll land. The reason I don't like giving that whole one gram of protein per pound of body weight is some people weigh like 240 pounds and that's a lot of protein and it's a lot of excess protein because especially if what you're trying to do is support your current lean mass, which is your muscle tissue and build on it, 
you don't need that much protein for that. That person, if they have 70 pounds of lean body mass, so 70 pounds of lean muscle, and they times that by 2.2, that's how you get to a kilogram. And then you times that number by either 0.8 all the way up to 1.2. That's going to give you how many grams of protein you should eat. So if we take 0.8 as the less aggressive version for 70 pounds of lean muscle, you're going to need to eat around 125 grams of protein. Because we're not going to be talking about nutrition, but I needed to kind of lay that on the table because... Basically, when that colleague of mine finally started to eat more and trusted me, her butt started growing and it looked super cute and it still looks great to this day. So you kind of just have to trust the fact that what we've been sold and told that we should be under eating constantly is a huge lie. Eat more, but slowly increase it. Don't just eat more out of nowhere. It's kind of called a reverse diet, but for a lot of us who are under eating, especially if you do go and log on my fitness pal and see that you are eating under 1700 calories a day, you cannot build muscle eating that minimal amount. Okay. Maybe some people can, but for the general population, no, you are not eating enough. Final question I would ask is, do you have access to a good quality weight training gym or are you willing to invest in your own weights? A big issue is that a lot of people try to build nice big glutes and they max out on home gym stuff with like 15 pound dumbbells, 20 pound dumbbells, a 30 pound kettlebell maybe. And then if that's all you have, you cannot keep growing because you are not stimulating your muscles at its genetic potential anymore because it can lift way heavier than that. I have clients that would be during the pandemic deadlifting their 35 pound kettlebell. We get back in the gym post pandemic and they're deadlifting 160 pounds on a barbell. And that's still not challenging enough for them. So that's just a perspective that your genetic potential is a lot more than you're probably challenging it for. And that's where a coach comes in. So my other question is, can you adjust your budget to get a coach at least temporarily? Like if you can get three to five sessions where they can watch your body, give you a movement assessment, help you feel more confident lifting heavier. And then if you cannot afford it anymore, shift into maybe just having them make you programming, or you should potentially have the tools to kind of continue that progressive overload programming for yourself if you got a good trainer. And any trainer should be understanding with the fact that you don't have the budget to stick with them forever. I know for my clients, I never have any hard feelings when they have to go flap their wings and fly. You know, it's it's a little sad because you build such good relationships, but in the long run, like I'm just glad that they're confident enough to continue that on their own. And I feel really happy that we were able to achieve things together that like they never would have on their own. So overall, what you really want to think about is how beneficial the value of a coach is, regardless of if they are kind of expensive for the way you see it. You cannot put a value on injury prevention. And you cannot put a value on learning the basic foundational mechanics of your own body so that you can continue to take those skills and develop them on your own for the long run. So 10 out of 10, not just because I am a coach, but because I can see the value it's provided my clients over the years that we've been able to completely avoid injury or come out of injuries that they got before they saw me and relearn their body mechanics to build a body that they're really confident in. If you're a person who really wants a specific physique 
and thinks that paying for a trainer while there's all this free information online is for you, I would say maybe you can achieve good results that way, but there's possibly a lot of stuff that you're missing as well as proper form and adjustments or regressions or progressions for your unique body that a lot of these professionally trained fitness coaches can do for you. So while I do believe that, sure, there's a world of amazing freebies online like bodybuilding.com and stuff, it's not going to be targeted to you specifically. And you could be following something that's going to be really bad for the fact that you don't have any mobility in your hamstrings or something like that, you know? And so highly recommend buy a few sessions or a whole pack for several months with a trainer, get yourself going, get yourself confident, figure out exactly how much weight is actually challenging for you with the benefit of somebody spotting you. And then you can transition out of that. And for some people, like a lot of my clients like to continue on for years because they really just like the fact that they won't show up and push themselves as hard as we can together. And that's also totally fine. You know, there's so many things that can come from it. But if you don't have access to a good quality weight training gym or somebody else's facility, and you don't necessarily have proper coaching on a lot of these things, you are going to have a harder time growing your glutes because they really are dependent on a lot of volume and a lot of load and getting there can be hard on your own. So all of these questions are key for any sort of progress. And if you fall short, sometimes, or maybe all the time, you will find yourself frustrated and confused. So if currently you've been trying to work on your glutes on your own or your body in general on your own, because I know some of this was just kind of like fitness training questions in general, not only glutes specific, but if you're frustrated and confused, then you should probably ask these questions again and try to figure out what can you change. All right, let's get really quick through some of the anatomy of the glutes because it's really key to understand the glutes in general because a lot of times people just do squats only or something like that. And they're like, why is my glutes not looking rounder or higher? You know what I mean? There's so many things that go into your hip muscles including your glutes, that are really important to understand so that if you build them or you want to build them, you can help shape them properly and without injury. Because sometimes when people only work one plane of motion with a certain compound movement, like if, again, all they do is squats, they might start feeling pain in certain areas because the other muscles are not being challenged and trained as well. First, glute major muscle. And I'm not actually going to talk much about the smaller muscles like piriformis and all of those smaller external rotators that are inside underneath these major glute muscles. I'm just going to talk about the main three glute muscles, your gluteus maximus, your gluteus medius, and gluteus minimus. So the gluteus maximus is the largest muscle in your butt. It essentially lays on the top of your other glute muscles, so it's the most visible muscle of the three. You can usually tell a well-developed gluteus maximus because it's a more bubble-shaped butt. So the primary function of your gluteus maximus is moving your leg backward. So we call that hip extension. It'll come into play when your legs are bent, which AKA a squat motion or a lunge motion, which kind of turns off the hamstring activation a little bit, which forces your gluteus maximus to take over. So your glutes, your gluteus maximus turns on towards the bottom of a squat or a lunge to pick up the slack for the hamstrings not working. And if you don't know where your hamstrings are, they're the back of your thigh. The fibers at the base of your gluteus maximus also contribute to hip adduction or pushing your thighs together 
and can also be accessed through adduction with certain angles of your body during certain movements. Okay, so the gluteus medius. It is your second largest muscle in your butt, and it lies slightly higher up than the gluteus maximus, but not necessarily on top of it. When the medius is well-developed, it actually kind of wraps around and makes your hips look a little bit wider from the front. So for example, me as a human, I have really well-developed gluteus medius, and it does give me a slightly wider look to my hips, but not necessarily in a way that I personally don't like, but I've heard clients before kind of complain about this muscle for themselves and uh, think that it makes them look like chunkier in that area. (laughs) But again, this is kind of just our society programming us to constantly be concerned about not photoshopped looking bodies. So if this is you and you're concerned about it, do not underdevelop your gluteus medius just because of this, okay? You can also have different genetics, so it may not show up the same. However, this muscle does fill out your glutes on the sides, so it is important as well for an aesthetic and a balance. So a lot of us trainers will kind of say that the secret to a nicer butt is actually training the gluteus medius in conjunction with your maximus. And obviously your minimus as well, but those are the two bigger muscle groups, so you're going to see them the most. So the final muscle is the gluteus minimus. It's beneath the maximus and the medius, and it's never visible, but you can build that muscle to kind of increase the size of your butt's aesthetic slash balance out the function because you obviously don't want the medius and the maximus much more stronger than the minimus, so... Balance is key as always, but it assists the glutes in hip extension and abduction. So you are pretty much always training it if you're training those same motions like the gluteus maximus. So those kind of usually go hand in hand. But this is also why I'm not really talking about the smaller muscle groups like the piriformis and other muscles in this region because they are training at the same time as the gluteus minimus and the other two major muscle groups. So I wanted to cover that a little bit because it's really important to help you understand what the heck is going on in your butt if you're trying to grow your butt. All right, so as we're kind of heading into the last two little parts of this chat about growing your glutes, we're going to get into the kind of the parts that everybody's probably really waiting for. And that's what exercises are going to work best and how do you program them into your own fitness routine And what are some of my kind of top tips in that zone? So step zero is, do you have any injuries? Do you have any current injuries? Did you have any past major injuries? Because if your answer is yes, you really should get a professional fitness trainer or a physical therapist to assess you first to kind of figure out if your body made any major imbalances by compensation because of the injury. Oftentimes we see people just kind of roll their ankle really bad or sprain it, tear it, and then they show up to the gym, that ankle doesn't move very well because they didn't go through PT and the scar tissue built up. If your ankle is locked up, it's going to mess up your squat, it's going to mess up your lunge, it's gonna mess up a lot of movement patterns that you may not even realize. So getting assessed if you have had any injuries is really important, even if you just have to shell out for that first kind of session. There's even some resources on YouTube by professionals where they can teach you how to self-assess by listening to them and watching yourself in a mirror. That could even be a good second version of what I would suggest for this step zero. 
Okay, now step one, you need to master band work. So mini bands, loop bands, whatever you want to call it, banding above the knee, below the knee, different positions on your leg is going to train and build strength in not only your major glute muscles, but a lot of those small muscle groups we were talking about. Why this is so important is because it can help prevent any further injuries that would come from those foundational muscles not being able to support the major muscles that you're working on. Oftentimes, you can kind of tell by if you were to squat and your knees buckle in. A really great exercise you can start with is squatting by driving out against that band with the band above your knees and testing your hip strength in that zone. So that would be like hip external rotation. You want to train those muscles to get stronger and resist a band before you start adding weight in the form of dumbbells, barbells, etc. My clients probably hate me especially the ones that like to just like go balls to the wall right out the gate. But I have helped so many of my clients fix their knee problems or hip problems or back problems just by implementing a lot of physical therapy style band work. But that's why I'm saying my step one for you (laughs) is to master some band work. There's a lot of different things that you can find again online on Pinterest, look up mini band work, glute band work, etc. Step two is begin perfecting those major compound movement patterns. So this is your deadlift, this is your squat, this is your hip thrust, this is your lunge. You're going to want to perfect those body weight before you start adding more load. Again, with barbells, dumbbells, kettlebells. Then step three would naturally be determining the amount of load you can put on your muscles as you continue week to week with whatever program however many days you can make it into the gym because really finding a good capacity to challenge yourself and make sure that you're able to simultaneously brace your core properly and perform a squat is way more important than you trying to lift as heavy as the chick that's next to you or the dude that's next to you and not even be properly braced with your core. I pretty much gauge a lot of my strength for my clients based off of Are they able to properly utilize all of the rest of the supportive mechanism with that movement pattern, such as their core, alongside lifting this weight? If their arms literally aren't strong enough for it, or they're obviously not bracing their core anymore, I will not have clients push that weight anymore because they are more prone for injury. I am an extremely cautious or conservative style trainer. I usually don't over push my clients maybe to a fault at some times, but honestly for me, especially if most of my clients, which almost all of them are all training with me for lifestyle improvement, they're not athletes for performance. I don't need to push them to a position where they can get injured. Same goes for you. Try to make sure that you're keeping as perfect form with everything else going on with your body, because especially with these compound lifts, everything is working. That's what a compound movement is. It's using multiple muscle groups at once. You're going to do better long run, taking your time and loading slowly every five pounds more every other workout or 10 pounds every other week and taking that approach versus just trying to lift as heavy as possible, as fast as possible. And step four is kind of just setting your expectations that you may not have a perfect workout week every week. This is specifically for my females as well. 
you are going to have a natural cycle deload week should you be cycling naturally. If you aren't cycling naturally, listen to your energy cues regardless. If you are having a more fatigued and tired week, probably regress your intensity and try to just take it slow and lower. So like reduce your capacity of how much you're lifting to like that 50% effort zone. This is a really good way or or don't work out at all. Like I've said before, this is a great way for you to kind of honor your body's energy cues and prevent yourself from going into overtraining zone because overtraining zone, like I mentioned before, is not going to be productive for glute growth and muscle growth in general, because you're going to be overworking your energy systems. They're not going to get enough recovery and it's not productive anymore. And especially since a lot of the major workouts that are beneficial for growing glutes are in that pelvic region, it's going to be less comfortable for you anyways to lift, especially during your cycle, those few days before it and on it. So you might as well take a deload week that time frame, and then just get right back into your heavy lifting again. And then you're going to assess how many days a week are you going to be able to make it. So if you have more time that you can go to the gym, if you can go to the gym three to five or three to six days a week, you can spend more time on isolated workouts where you're doing more specifically glute medius workouts for that day or glute maximus only, you know, things like that. You can do a quad specific day and glutes and then do a hamstring specific day and glutes and hit those muscle groups more frequently if you're going more often. If you don't have as much time in your week and you can only go like maybe 30 or 45 minutes only two times a week, that's still very possible to have those muscular benefits that you're looking for. You're just going to want to shift to trying to hit every muscle group as much as you can in that single workout. So a full body approach is kind of a better routine if you are not hitting the gym frequently. It's going to be the most bang for your buck because now you're no longer hitting biceps and triceps once a week. You're hitting every muscle group twice a week and your glutes are going to respond the best to frequency and volume. They are slow twitch muscle fiber dominant. So you're really going to want to do as much consistent glute work as frequently as possible to really have those results you're looking for. In the last part I want to kind of add in is that you really want to prepare your mind that you are going to be in this hypertrophy phase. So hypertrophy is where we're trying to get the muscle to grow. That phase should last at least three to six months minimum. If you aren't putting in effort for at least three months, you're not going to see the results that you want. Your body needs to go through multiple cycles, not just menstrual cycles, but multiple weeks of loading so that it feels like it can adapt because all of this is we're asking your glute muscle to have an adaptation to constant load. This is why we get sore because we're tearing apart the muscle and then it's trying to repair itself. And in that zone, a bunch of different acids and things are released as well as a period of time where you need that recovery so that that muscle can repair from the nutrients you feed it to grow. So you need time under your belt. A lot of my clients want to come and see me for like half a year or one year and have these really nice, big, shapely glutes. It's very rare for that to ever happen, especially depending on where they're at with their nutrition, where they're at with their stress levels, where they're at with their genetics, etc. I will say I have seen the best results for most of my clients once they hit the two-year mark. And some people might be like, oh my gosh, that's forever. But 
time under tension and longevity of time under tension is what's going to build a muscle. And that's what's necessary for building bigger glutes. You're going to need that muscle maturity, we kind of call it, where essentially at this point, because I've been weightlifting since I was 18, I have now 11 years under my belt of strength training my glutes and my leg muscles. So I don't have to work as hard now to keep those muscles around. If I wanted to grow them though, I would have to work super hard because I've been having this glute muscle for a while. And the final bit here, what exercises would I strongly suggest that you implement at least two times a week, ideally four times a week, if you're really trying to grow them faster and larger? And I'm going to kind of list them in order of moderately glute active or glutes are involved moderately to glutes are very involved. Number one is going to kind of surprise you because everybody thinks it's the major glute building workout. However, especially after they've done literal studies on it, squats are towards the bottom for me. Squats are a very quad dominant exercise. You're going to be working a lot more of your core and your quads than your glutes. Glutes will definitely be involved. However, they are not the most involved in that movement pattern. Thus, I have put them towards the top of this list in the sense that they aren't going to grow your glutes as much as what we get to towards the end. So next would be any variation of a deadlift because you should really be using your glutes at the top of this movement to drive power and strength because they are your biggest muscle group. Specifically, sumo deadlifts can be one of the best for growing your gluteus maximus as they allow you to get a really good contraction because your toes are abducted outward, which is a good position for engaging your glute muscles a little bit more than normal. But any variation of a deadlift is another hinge pattern. It's just standing up. So that's a great way to grow some glute muscle. Next would be cable or machine glute kickback. So some gyms have the actual machine where you kind of stand with your chest against a pad and you can kind of set whatever weight you want and you kick back against the pad. My best tip is that you perform that similarly to how you would do a cable machine kickback where you put the ankle attachment on the cable at the lowest point of the cable machine. You're going to want to kind of soften your standing leg and get your torso a little lower so you can really isolate and kind of donkey kick backwards driving through your heels you're going to get a lot more engagement in your glutes that way and it's one of the greatest ways that you can grow glutes at a higher volume meaning more reps some of the other more isolated movements would be like a leaning back hip abduction or a leaning forward hip abduction as well as frog pumps which if you don't know what those are just google it on youtube you'll see them (laughs) as well as banded elevated hip bridges with your feet up those are also going to be very isolating and a different variation of the specific movement pattern, but the strength training exercises that I would top recommend for this would be a hip thrust with a barbell. And there's so many different ways you could set up this movement because the hardest thing for a lot of people is just trying to get into position because you are usually leaning up against a heavy bench so it doesn't move and you are kind of rolling a barbell up over your hips with a pad on it. You need a pad on it. It's going to be so uncomfortable. And if you don't need a pad, you're not lifting heavy enough. (laughs) And you're going to want to make sure that you are in a position where you are moving in a perfect hinge. Like I like to say, a bind on a book, 
that your torso stays connected in the motion of when you're dropping your butt and pushing your hips up and your chin should always be tucked down, ribs stay tucked down, looking at your belly button the entire time of doing the barbell hip thrust. You should not ever be looking up at the ceiling doing a heavy weighted hip thrust. However, you can look up at the ceiling if you're doing single leg body weight, high volume hip thrusts or with a lighter dumbbell, etc. That's a totally okay to look up at the ceiling. However, heavy lifting, you put your low back at risk with fatigue if you look at the ceiling. So that's one of the major things I always see a lot of girls doing wrong at the gym is they're doing the staring at the ceiling version and sometimes arching their back. That is absolutely putting you at risk for a lower back injury and definitely stay in your heels with this motion as well. Do not go into your toes. Now there's some other things you can do like feet high and narrow on an angled leg press or Bulgarian split squats with your foot further out so you're getting a lot more glute isolation, which I love. Everybody hates them. Not everybody. There are some people who like them too. But those are some really great other versions of exercises to isolate glutes. But the king of all exercises for glute growth is always going to be a barbell hip thrust. So if I had to say kind of a hierarchy of how you should structure your workout, I would start with your banded work. Do at least two sets of three to four different band exercises to activate your glutes. A lot of my clients, when they skip this, they tend to either kind of get injured or they report back that they felt so much weaker in their workout. This is because those muscles were not turned on properly. Easiest way to turn them on is with your band work. So never skip your band work. Keep them in your gym bag. I always recommend have a gym bag with you when you go to the gym. And then after you finish that dynamic activation, we like to call it, you're going to want to switch right into the exercises that are going to require the most energy for you. So this is where you're going to do your heaviest lifting. So let's say you are working on barbell hip thrusts. You're going to want to do about three to five sets in the rep range of six to 12. So you're going to get a good amount of time under tension and pushing heavier weights. So you're really challenging that muscle group for about three to five sets. And then you can sprinkle in two to four other isolation movements, such as let's say you add in the elevated foot hip bridges and some leaning back hip abduction on the hip abduction machine. This is that machine where you kind of like don't want to make eye contact with other people. And you can also do walking lunges, things like that. So you always want to stack the most effort with the biggest compound lift right after that dynamic activation, in my opinion. And then you're going to want to do some of that accessory burnout stuff to put more time under tension, a lot more, a little more volume on your glutes. And then you're going to make sure that you do some cool down stuff because your body's going to regret it if you don't do your foam rolling or some of your static stretching at the end. Sometimes too, a lot of people like to do a cool down walk, like five to 10 minutes on the treadmill and then do a little static stretching. But I totally recommend that is the best workout programming for general glute growing. And I hope that all of that was helpful for you. And I know that it has been exponentially beneficial for all of my clients who have put in the efforts and pushed the weight to really change their physique by adding strength specifically to those nice booty muscles. All right, guys, so that kind of wraps up our booty chat. 
Hopefully you feel a little more confident in growing your own glutes now and that you can help any of your friends if you guys are gym buddies, etc. And again, if you feel like you hit a wall, you feel frustrated with your glutes, highly recommend you go back to that second part where you kind of ask yourself those questions. If you are eating enough, if you are really being realistic with your expectations genetically, etc. Okay, so we will catch each other next Sunday for another episode of Rebel Wellness. Thanks for joining me on this week's episode of Rebel Wellness. If you loved what you heard and you are ready to take your wellness journey to the next level, follow me on Instagram at CoachByKales for daily nuggets of health and fitness wisdom. We release new episodes weekly on Sundays, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you never miss an update. As always, lean into your strength, walk with confidence, and celebrate your nourishment. We'll catch you next Sunday on Rebel Wellness.